Hello, friends. Uh, the first thing I want to say to you on behalf of our whole pastoral team and staff is that we love you. We miss you. and We can't wait to worship with you together in person. Uh, the, the writer Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, said this, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. I feel that right now, and I'm sure you do as well. But, but for right now, this sort of digital gathering is where we find ourselves in the midst of this pandemic. And I want to say that I know that these last few weeks have been incredibly challenging for many of you. There's been layoffs and economic instability. There's been um, health challenges, whether physical and emotional. It's been a really challenging few weeks. I also want to say thank you to, to those of you who work in the medical field who are, who are serving our communities so well right now. We're praying for you. We're praying that God would protect you and sustain you as you do good work in our communities. And we love you. And then there's just been many adjustments in general over these last few weeks. Many of us are now homeschool families. Um, I've even begun to try to learn how to cut my own hair, which is not going well. And we're adjusting to this new kind of life that we're in right now. And it's a crisis that, that our world is in and that we're, we're experiencing it at different levels. And so what I want to do today in this message is I want us to learn together how to pray and praise through a crisis, through a season of difficulty and confusion and what even feels like chaos. How do we learn to pray and praise in the midst of that? So what I want to do this morning is invite you into a story, into the biblical story. Now, this, you may be sitting there by yourself uh, listening to this, you may be with a roommate or perhaps with a spouse. You might have little kids running around. I know what that's like. Um, maybe some of you are going to listen to this and then gather either later today or, or throughout the week in your community groups over Zoom and, and process what we hear in God's word. But, but together, I want us to learn from God's word. How do we pray? How do we praise through a moment like this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the defining moment of King Jehoshaphat's life, which it's, it's given to us in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We see a man who experiences crisis and has to respond to that in faith. Now, here's what you need to know about King Jehoshaphat. He was the king of Judah. He was a moral reformer. He brought... Um, a lot of good into the nation. Uh, he's described throughout the scriptures as one who sought the Lord. But he's also, he's in, like us, he's kind of a mixed bag. He has seasons of, of doubt and wandering, and he has other seasons where he's wholeheartedly pursuing the Lord. And, um, but through all of it, the, the defining phrase that is given about his life is that he is one who sought the Lord and I love that. I would, I would love for my own life for somebody to, to say that about me. He sought the Lord. Or love, I'm sure you would love for somebody to say that about you. He sought the Lord. She sought the Lord. That family sought the Lord. And certainly, I hope someday people say that of, of River West Church. River West Church sought the Lord. 
And so we're going to learn about, from Jehoshaphat's life, what kind of way that he sought the Lord in the, in the midst of a crisis. And so we're going to pick up this story after Jehoshaphat has done a lot of great things in, in God's people as he's leading them. And we pick up his story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It starts in verse 1. And so what we'll do as you're listening to this is I'm going to read the story and then throughout the story I'm just going to, I'm going to highlight different things that we learn about prayer and praise from Jehoshaphat. So listen to these words. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Mayunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. The first thing we notice about Jehoshaphat is that he's afraid. We're just a few verses into this story and there's already a crisis Bad news has come into his life. There's an army that is, it's, it's really a coalition. It's, it's, it's three different nations that have come together with the sole purpose of destroying God's people. Now, one thing we know about Jehoshaphat from previous chapters is that he has a standing army of over a million men. And so we, we have to think that this army that is gathered against him is massive. Millions of men have gathered against him. And the things that Jehoshaphat would normally be able to, um, to lean on are, are just not good enough anymore. His army's not good enough. Jehoshaphat as a king would probably have had just a lot of wealth, but his wealth will do nothing for him right now. We know that he's got a good reputation in the kingdom, but even that, what, what good is that right now? when these nations have rallied together to destroy him. And it's not just him. They've come um, to destroy God's people. Jehoshaphat is the leader of the nation, Judah, and, and they don't stand a chance against this army. But I love what he does. His instinct is to pray. He hears about these people coming against him, and he prays. I want that kind of instinct in my own life. I'm sure you do as well. That when trouble arises or when we experience chaos or confusion, that my instinct would be to seek the Lord and to pray. And we learn something about the way that he prays. And it starts in verse 5. And I want to invite you to read along as Jehoshaphat prays in this way to his God. He says, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, 
If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, another word for pandemic, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O Lord God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I'll say that again. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's one of my favorite Phrases in, in all of scripture. What an amazing line that, that he ends his prayer with. We, we don't have a clue what to do, but God, we're looking to you. The truth is, is that prayer turns our fear and confusion over to God. And even more than that, prayer turns our eyes to God. Prayer is, is what we do when we, when, when we experience this kind of chaos and torment. We, we look to God. Now, we learn a few different things about, about prayer, about looking to God through the way that Jehoshaphat prays. And I want to point out three things that he does. The first is this, is Jehoshaphat's prayer is rooted in his relationship with God. Every great prayer, I believe, is rooted in relationship to God. Consider the way he started his prayer. He said, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Does that remind you of the way that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven. Jehoshaphat prays and he prays to God saying, God, we, we know you and you know us. We are yours. He's rooted in this relationship that he has with God. And that's the way we should start when we pray to God, rooted in relationship. The second thing is that his prayer is rooted in the power of God. I love these words. He says, in your hand is power and might. And this whole prayer is filled with a recognition of the power of God. So let me ask you, when you experience uncertainty and fear, what do you root your prayers in? Do you root it in your own power, in your own resources, or are you rooted in the power of God? Again, Jehoshaphat had all the resources of a king, but none of those could do anything for him in the situation that he was in and that his people were in and so he rooted his prayer, as we always should, in God's power. They say, he says this, he says, we are powerless against this great army, but God, you aren't. He believes that his God is able. The third thing that his prayer is rooted in is, is he roots his prayer in the promises of God. And I love that as I read that prayer. He his prayer goes all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Genesis 12 when, when God revealed to Abraham that he would make a great nation out of him and that he would bring this nation into a land. And right now, 
King Jehoshaphat and the people are in that land and, and he recalls and remembers the promises of God in his prayer. He says, God, we're in the land that you promised would be our inheritance. He's rooted in, in that promise. He's reminding God, we, we listen to you. We know what you said. I, I think about my own life in prayer and how, how hard it can be to root my prayers in the promises of God. And I think sometimes that's true because we're not always aware of what God's promises are. And so I want to tell you some of God's promises right now. God promises to be present with us in the best and worst of times. God promises that his love will never fail, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God promises salvation to those who believe and put their faith in his son, Jesus. God promises to comfort us in our sufferings. God promises to finish the work that he started in us. When you pray to God, do you fill your mind and your hearts with those promises? Do you fill your mind and your hearts with the power of God? Do you remind yourself that the God that you're praying to knows you? and cares for you, and he is with you. I love this, and uh, let's keep going. In verse 13, it says this. This is after he's prayed. It says, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Okay, I'm going to take another break because I think this is significant. It took me a while to pick up on this as I've been reading this passage, but I love that it says, I want to talk to you parents for a second. They, they brought their children in. As the nation gathered to pray before God, the little ones are there. I think about how, how important it is for us as, as parents right now. What an opportunity to teach our kids to pray. Sometimes we think that our, our primary role as parents is to shield them from all the bad news that's in the world, but I don't think that's all that we're called to do, just to shelter our kids from the bad news, but rather to establish them in the good news of Jesus Christ. What an opportunity. And I'm, I'm learning this, and I'm admittedly stumbling along the way, but learning how to teach my kids to pray, to trust God. The goal is as we move toward, to, the, to the other side of this um, moment in, in history is that our children, our families, and, and, and our church would be more resilient in our faith, and in our hope. And so I'll just leave that with you. And we'll keep reading. I promise we'll keep reading. Picking it up again in verse 14. After they pray, God himself begins to speak to his people through a prophet. Listen to these, to these words in verse 14. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, 
and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. What an amazing word that has come to them. What an amazing truth that has been declared over them. God speaks to them. They've said, our eyes are on you. And God says, keep looking at me. Watch what I'm going to do. He says, you, you think that this battle is yours, but this is actually my battle. And I'll fight it for you. Are your eyes still on me? I love that. He says, watch what I do. Now I want to read to you how the people respond to the word of the Lord. This is in verse 18. It says, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Did you notice what they're doing? They're worshiping. Now, I want to tell you something that I think this passage reveals. It's that prayer is incomplete until it turns to praise. I'll say that again. Prayer is incomplete until it turns to praise. Keep praying until you're worshiping. You know, agnostics and atheists will, will even pray in a crisis. And a lot of people pray when bad things happen to them, but few actually worship in the midst of a crisis. And I want you to notice as, as, as we've read this story that God hasn't actually done anything yet. Their situation isn't visibly better than, than it was even moments before in the story. And yet, at the lead of Jehoshaphat, the whole nation is worshiping and praising God even as destruction is knocking at their door. So I want to talk to you for just a few moments about why I believe that we should praise God even in the storm that we're in right now. And we learn this from God's people here. The first thing is this, it's that praise prepares us for God's deliverance. And I know that some of you right now in your life perhaps are thinking, I'll, I'll praise God when we get on the other side of this. Or I'll praise God when the virus passes. Or I'll praise God when, when I get my job back. And yet here we see God's people saying, we're going to praise God even before he delivers us. And that's what our world needs to see. Right now, our world needs to see followers of Jesus who will say, I will praise God until he delivers me, whether that's in this life or even the next. I will praise him and trust him. Because the truth is, is that we don't just praise God so that he does something for us. We praise God so that he can do something in us. God's doing a deep work in his people in this story, even in the midst of the chaos, where, they, where they're moving just from moment to moment, trying to figure out what to do next. It's not just what God wants to do for them, but what he will do in them. And the truth is that that is also our story. We relinquish our, our sense of control and 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 
and step into the true reality that we're not in control at all, but our God is. And so praise prepares us for God's deliverance. Now I want to keep reading the story to you. This is what happens next as they're worshiping. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and sang, Give thanks to the Lord. For his steadfast love endures forever. They're worshiping. Their situation hasn't changed, but they're worshiping. And it goes on to say this. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. As they began to sing, God delivered them. The second thing I want to say to you about why we should praise God in this season is because praise unleashes the power of God. In this story, it's unmistakably God's work. The people were powerless. We know that. The whole story has amplified that truth. These people are powerless to, to fight or defeat their own enemies. But God's power is unleashed. And it's unleashed as they worship him, as they pray to him. They are, are singing out, God, we know that you're faithful. God, we know that you're able. God, we know that you love us. And as they sing, God defeats their enemies. And you may ask the question, well, did, did they have to worship God in order for him to defeat this enemy? And the truth is, no, certainly not. But God has chosen and called his people to be a worshiping community so that they're constantly giving praise to him while they're waiting for him to step into their life for salvation. And, and even while he does that, they're able to see what he's done because they're worshiping him. Praise unleashes the power of God. Not just into our circumstances, but into our lives. We experience God's power as we worship him. He changes us. And here's what happens next. In verse 27, we, we've, we've seen that, that God's power has defeated their enemies. God has won this victory, but this is what happens as we near the end of our story. It says, they returned, in verse 27, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. They bring instruments and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. The third reason why we praise is because praise celebrates the victory of God. So here's Jehoshaphat. He was praying and worshiping before God 
showed up in deliverance. He was praying as God delivered. And now he's praying in celebration for what God has done. What an amazing model for us. They worshiped him constantly. Oh man, I I think about how how much I long for us to be on the other side of of this pandemic for many reasons, but for one reason is to, to worship with you. And I know that you long for that as well. But let's not wait to worship God until this passes. But instead, let's pray and keep praying until our prayers turn into praise and we see God's deliverance and power. God's God's working right now in our world in powerful ways. And as we look to him and worship him, we will begin to see that. And in closing, I want to read to you the last verses The last verse of this story, it's in verse 30, and I think it's really important for us to see. It says this, after all of this, it says, the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Our story started with chaos. It started with fear. It started with uncertainty, imminent destruction, And it ended with quiet rest. What a beautiful picture of how we pray and how we worship, not just on our own, but together, how we gather together so that we can look to God. Jehoshaphat found himself in a defining moment in his life. He wasn't prepared for it. The resources he had weren't adequate for the situation that he was in. He didn't know what to do. People were asking him, what are we supposed to do? He says, I, he didn't know what to do. But he sought the Lord. He turned his eyes to God. He lifted up his prayer, this authentic prayer. God, we're, we're confused. We don't, we don't know what to do. But he prayed rooted in his relationship with God, trusting the power of God. He prayed, leaning into the promises of God. And that prayer turned into praise, corporate praise. And when God's salvation entered into the life of his people, when God's deliverance um, was revealed to them, they were found to be worshiping. And my prayer is that it would be so with us as a community. Don't wait to worship. Begin to worship right now. Call people on the phone. Um, Call them up on FaceTime. Have, Have Zoom calls with your community group where we praise and lift up the goodness of God so that when we see what he's doing at work, we will be found to be a worshiping community together. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you for your word We want to hide it deep in our hearts. We want to trust you. God, it's it's in many ways easy for us to see ourselves in this story because right now we don't know what to do. But help us together to look to you in faith and trust. Help us to respond to you in worship, Lord, right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.